up, everybody? Welcome to episode 61 of the 2QB Experience. My name is Greg Smith. I'm your host. You can find all my work at 2QBs.com, and you can hit me up on Twitter at GregSauce. On the line, special guest, first time on the pod, Mr. Justin Mason, at Justin Mason FWFB. And if you're wondering what those letters stand for, it's Friends with Fantasy Benefits. He's the owner there. He also does work for Fangraphs, Fantasy Alarm, and he's the host of the Tout Wars Hour on Fantasy Sports Radio. Justin, welcome to the show, man. It's good to have you. It's good to be here. I'm uh, I, I'm ready to come and defend my honor after last week. That's right. I mean, so same as last episode's guest, Sammy Reed. Justin is a member of the Barf League, a 12-team Superflex League with a bunch of fantasy sports folks from around the Bay Area. And if you listen to last week's episode, you got to hear Sammy and I trash Justin for, or maybe not trash him, but at least trash the fact that he has very few points and he's in first place in this league. Um, but I do want to cede the floor to you, give you the chance to defend yourself, generally, you know, talk smack back at us because you know, we deserve it. Uh, what do you got to say for yourself? Well, honestly, I mean, let's be honest. My team is garbage. Mm. But I just continue to whoop up on all of you guys because your teams are just worse than mine. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, like, like you guys mentioned, uh, fantasy football isn't fair sometimes. And usually I'm, I, I'm the person on the kind of the short end of the stick where my team is just absolute um, a monster, and somehow I, I just get everybody's best week, and I end up outside of the playoffs looking in with the best team in the league. Uh, and so I think this is just one of those situations where, uh, I mean, if you look at my roster, uh, my, my team, I, I drafted Sam Bradford, uh, Trevor Simeon, and uh, Andrew Luck as my three quarterbacks uh, in, you know, what is ostensibly a two QB league. I mean, super flex, but obviously everybody's playing two quarterbacks when they can. And somehow I'm in first place. So, I mean, there's a lot of luck involved. I think I put together a really great team outside of my quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, yeah, unfortunately my quarterback situation is going to catch up to me unless golden Tate just goes completely off on Monday night football. Uh, I'm going to lose this week and and probably fall out of first place. But uh, ultimately I think uh, God just loves me, and that's why I am uh, in first place so far. Praise be, man. Well, um, what do you, I asked this about Sammy last week. What what do you think is like the biggest takeaway you've had from this league? It doesn't necessarily have to apply to two quarterback fantasy, but just for your fantasy football repertoire in general. Are there any like lessons that you've learned either from the draft or from playing out this league, or I don't know, maybe other you know insights you, you've gained from the Barf League? I think uh, one with a league. This size, and I mean, it's only a 12-team league, so you wouldn't necessarily think of it necessarily as a deep league. But we have really deep benches. Yes. And we're a super flex league with seven bench spots, at least seven bench spots, maybe more. And so I had the strategy that I I thought maybe I could find some value at quarterback. In a super flex league, I, I think I kind of fell behind the curve a little bit. I allowed guys to go maybe a little bit farther, feeling like, Maybe I had a better chance on the wraparound to get someone. I think you sniped me on Russell Wilson mm-hmm. uh, on a wraparound pick. You know, I, I let I let quarterbacks go on in in rounds two and three, and by the time it got back to me in four and five, I mean I'm looking at guys who were fantastic at the running back and wide receiver positions and just mediocre quarterback. And I went, well, I'd rather have the better player overall. And I think that was a bad strategy. Sometimes you want to jump in on the runs as opposed to zig when everybody zags. And I think this was a, a point where I just zigged and zagged maybe a little bit too much and, and left myself with some pretty weak spots. 
Yeah, the way I always look at it is I either want to be the guy who starts a run or I want to be the guy who finishes a run. And I don't I don't mind being on either end of that spectrum because either I'm in theory picking the, you know, the guy I like the most out of the tier or I'm getting the last guy out of a tier. And, you know, depending upon where you draft, you don't always have that luxury, right? There might be two guys left in a tier when it's your turn to pick. But you still have to make that pick, right? Because if you don't, then both those guys are going to go and you're going to be stuck looking at some guy from, you know, the next tier down at a particular position. I think that's a really good point. And the quarterback thing is so tricky in these leagues, right? You really have to be able to read the room. That Russell Wilson pick uh, at the 2-3 turn, because I had first pick overall, is not a pick that I would typically make in a quarterback league. But I talked about this last week. Because of the way quarterbacks were being drafted in those first two rounds, the fact that... Derek Carr was a first rounder or an early second rounder and that Andrew Luck got taken where you took him. I was like, okay, well now if I want a QB, I'm getting who's at all good. Like I have to make that pick now because by the time it gets back to me for four or five, I'm not going to have a chance, right? Like that's just kind of how these leagues play out sometimes. And I, I think what you said in terms of where you want to be in on runs is great. I do. I definitely want to either start a run, be, be the person who causes panic or grab the last guy of a tier during a run. But what happens when you try to be that guy who maybe comes at the end of a run? Sometimes you miss the run completely, and that's what it, virtually what's happened to me. Is I just every, every time there was a quarterback run, I was the man on the outside looking in, wondering what the hell happened. And, and that's just something I have to better prepare for, especially if you're drafting near the wheel. And I was drafting from the third spot, and I just kind of got screwed on kind of those long, long rounds where I didn't have a pick for a while. Yeah, it's much easier, I found, to take that approach that you talked about, you know, waiting for those QB values in a 10-team league, just because there isn't that crazy, you know, feverish need for quarterbacks. Like, people still want quarterbacks, but they're more willing to let them slide a little bit, and that's where you can really scoop up those values in the middle round. Middle rounds, as soon as you get to 12-team or larger, yeah, it's it's just a, it's a total firefight for the QB position. Uh, let's get into Week 9. Let's Let's talk about our review here, and there weren't a whole lot of huge two-quarterback developments. Uh, the biggest one is that Jameis Winston was sidelined again mid-game with a shoulder injury, and it's been reported, uh, I think I saw it from Ian Rappaport on Twitter, uh, Coach Dirk Cutter says that Winston's going to be shut down for a couple weeks at least. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick's going to take over. The other stuff that we're seeing come out after Week 9 is mostly like forward-looking stuff. Teddy Bridgewater is going to be activated, and he's probably going to back up Case Keenum in Week 10. Jimmy Garoppolo, we talked about that trade on last week's episode, but he's another week closer to potentially starting. And Brock Osweiler, despite the fact that he struggled, is going to get another start in Week 10. But Paxton Lynch is there. He's kind of waiting in the wings. What was the most interesting storyline for you out of Week 9 with regards to two-quarterback fantasy, Justin? That's hard because... I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw the Niner one out of there. I mean Garoppolo is gonna start as soon as he's figured out the system. So mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't I think if Beathard played well, they'd still have Garoppolo starting, you know, week 12, week 13 once he feels comfortable to go. But I don't think that's super interesting for fantasy because I mean who do they have to catch the ball in San Francisco? I mean Garcon's done for the season. It looks like Trent Taylor may have broken some ribs. He could be out for a while. I mean they'd. They they have literally no bo- nobody. I may actually go suit up and play some <laughs> some wide receiver for them. Uh, so uh, for me, it's it's Winston because I think there is a real chance that this ends his season. 
And I know we're only eight games in for them, but they're two and six. They're falling behind in the division. He's going to miss at least two weeks. So there's a very good chance that they could be two and eight, two and nine, two and ten before he's really ready to go. And it, and then at that point, do they just say, let's not even worry about this? You know, this, this was something he was supposed to be able to recover from without even missing any time. Now we're talking about it, it's something that's going to keep him out a few weeks. This reminds me too much of the Andrew Luck situation, and I already fell for that trick. Yeah. So where, you know, people, oh, he's going to he's gonna be ready for the start of the season. Oh, well, he'll be ready a couple weeks into the season. Oh, no, he'll be ready at some point, and now he's on IR. I just don't know why Tampa would risk what they consider is their, their, their franchise quarterback, uh, even though I think at this point we, we may need to reevaluate whether or not we think Winston is ever going to be the player that we thought he might. Um, so for me, that's kind of the big one. The, the Broncos situation is interesting. I mean, I understand Lynch hasn't had a lot of snaps, but the, the few times he's been seen in practice, he looks like the best quarterback by far, at least from a physical tool standpoint. So I think he's going to be playing sooner rather than later. Yeah, with regards to Winston, he hasn't even been that good either. And that's what makes me think that this Ryan Fitzpatrick move might stick, like you said, for longer than maybe we'd expect because, you know, they're not winning and because maybe they want to tank a little bit. And to be honest, I think if you're a Mike Evans owner, a Deshaun Jackson owner, you might not really see that much of a difference in your player's performance moving from Winston to Fitzpatrick. And while that doesn't necessarily tell the same sort of story from an NFL perspective, I think that that sort of mentality might bleed into Tampa-based thinking to some extent. And the the Broncos situation, I don't know. Every time Paxton Lynch has been under center in a game, he has not looked good at all. I'm pretty convinced, based upon what I've seen at least, that Trevor Simeon is their best quarterback. He's just not very good. None of these guys are very good. And I don't know. I, just, I don't know what they do because they're in a, in a similar position, right, where they're falling behind in the standings to to some extent, and they got the Patriots coming this week. Can any of these QBs really help their season? Like, th- this is the perfect spot for Colin Kaepernick if he weren't being blackballed, but you know, we, we, we know he is. Like, <laughs> there are too many bad quarterbacks who are on rosters for us not to think that he is, you know, intentionally not be given, being given a job. But, uh, yeah, do you, do you really think Paxton Lynch would be that much of an improvement over both Osweiler and Semien? I, I think that they can't win no matter which of those guys they start. I think we don't have a large enough sample size in game yet to say he's not at least worthy of a shot. I mean, at the end of the day, I think they need to just give him give him the keys, turn it over, go, listen, we're already three games behind the Chiefs. The chances that we're going to catch them with either Brock Osweiler or Trevor Simeon is zero, you know, to slim. Uh, let's give the kid a shot. We, you know, we, we wasted a pretty high draft pick on him if we're ready to kind of kick him to the curb, uh, let's go. At least he can move. Like, I mean, the one thing is he can move out of the pocket. He can throw on the run. And I think at the end of the day, you got you got to give the kid a chance. You know, would you rather just throw out a guy in Osweiler who couldn't even make the uh, the Browns roster, yeah. or a, you know, a guy in Trevor Simeon who uh, throws more often to the defenders than he does to his own guys? <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, you might as well give Lynch a shot. And at least then you know going into next season whether you need to draft another quarterback. Yeah, and they they drafted Chad Kelly this past year, so they they know that they may be moving on anyway. So you're right. There's no harm in figuring it out, like get, getting him some more in-game snaps. 
I'm ju- I'm just not optimistic whatsoever, and and I have a feeling that they aren't either because if they really thought he could turn their season around, he would have been starting before now, and that's I think a major red flag for that situation going forward. Let's talk about the Vikings because while I don't think Teddy Bridgewater is necessarily ready to start right away. This is definitely the most nebulous situation, right? It's like we have Case Keenum, and he's been fine, and they're winning with him under center, so I don't think they'll make a move until he starts to become a problem. But we know who Case Keenum is. We know he's not very good. And Sam Bradford's still there, too, to kind of muck up the entire situation. How do you see this playing out? Like, even though you didn't necessarily pick it as one of your two more two most interesting angles from this past week, give me your take on who's going to be the quarterback for most of the rest of the games for Minnesota. Man, this is so hard because I want to say it's going to be Bridgewater because Bradford can't stay. If if, Brad, if I could be assured of health for Bradford, I, I'd take Bradford. But I just don't think that he can stay healthy. Keenum is, is just straight garbage. I know he had the one good game against Tampa Bay. But other than that, he's just been straight garbage. Uh, I just don't know what you're going to get from Teddy Bridgewater, a, a guy who definitely relies on his legs to be a vital part of his game coming off an injury that was so severe and so gruesome that there are reports that uh, teammates of his vomited on the field when the injury actually took place. Yeah, that's nasty. That's how bad it was. So, I mean, I I don't know. I I know he's looked pretty decent, and uh, he looks somewhat mobile in practice, and people say that he's going to be fine. We don't know until he gets a full contact hit to that knee. If that is, is if that's the truth, and we don't know if he's ever going to feel as loose as he did and not play tentatively until we see it. So until we actually see him play, he's a hard guy to bet on. But at the end of the day, I'm I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it's Bridgewater just because if the Vikings want to go to the playoffs and this is a very winnable division, they need someone who can air it out. I think this week versus the Redskins may put kind of the nail in the coffin of Case Keenum because the Redskins' defensive secondary looked absolutely dominant with all their pieces back against uh, Russell Wilson and the Seahawks this week. I think there's a real chance they could really shut down the Vikings' passing game, and then they're forced to go to Bridgewater. That's a much-improved defense for sure. Now, if you're choosing between these different backup QBs, off of the waiver wire. Let's say that we all know Fitzpatrick is the guy to go out and get first because he's guaranteed a starting role at least for a couple weeks. Who do you want to prioritize after him between Bridgewater, Garoppolo, and Paxton Lynch if you need a quarterback? Oh, man, that's that, that's difficult. I think I go, I'm going to go Garoppolo, Bridgewater, then Lynch. Uh, Garoppolo is going to have the job. It's just a matter of whether it's week 12 or week 13. I, I, I feel pretty strongly that both Bridgewater and Lynch will be starting at some point. I just don't know what you're going to get from them and if they are able to keep the job rest of the way. We know as soon as, like you said, as soon as Fitzpatrick gets the job, he's got it right now. He's going to keep it rest of the way as long as he's healthy. We know Garoppolo, as soon as he gets the job, he's going to keep it rest of the way. I can't say that's about... Bridgewater and Lynch, because both those teams could easily go, nope, going back to the other guy. Yeah, and this isn't necessarily a situation where you need some sort of context to figure out which quarterback you need, because all three guys are not necessarily starting right now, but might be starting soon, and so you kind of have to get a good feel for which one of these guys is most likely to start. I agree with you that Garoppolo is first. 
he's the only quarterback in this group who really represents like a significant talent or ability upgrade above the guy who's currently under center for his respective team. Like, again, I already talked about how I don't necessarily believe that Lynch is any better than Semyon or, or, um, or Osweiler. I mean, he's probably better than Osweiler. Everybody's better than Osweiler. But anyway, I think that Lynch is still probably next for me because as you mentioned, the Broncos probably just want to see what they have. And that means that he's a pretty good bet to see multiple games to close out the season. Bridgewater's last for me just because the Vikings have been winning with Keenum and because Bradford is still looming to some extent. I think there are just too many stories I can tell myself where Bridgewater doesn't start more than one or two games this season. Either he isn't quite as healthy as we want him to be, he's not mentally ready to you know, kind of take the keys yet, or maybe he's just not that good. Like We don't have any evidence of him being a, a viable starting quarterback in the NFL either. Like he was always, you know, in his previous stints, just kind of a game manager type. And he might come in for a game or two and look even worse than Keenum. And then by the time we realize that Bradford is finally healthy and then maybe Bradford takes over. I just think that there's more of a chance of Garoppolo and Lynch taking over those jobs and holding them for the balance of the season. But I, I think it's close. I don't think you can really, no one's going to be 100% right on this sort of ranking. But for me, it's Garoppolo, then Lynch, then Bridgewater. I will say, though, if you're looking for straight upside, if you're looking for a Hail Mary, for me, that's Lynch. Because Garoppolo, like I mentioned before, has nobody to throw to. Like, the, there is just nobody there uh, to, to really make him, you know, an elite option off the waiver wire moving forward. Bridgewater, I think the scheme itself will keep him grounded, even if he looks good. Mm-hmm. But Lynch has weapons in in Denver, in Thomas and uh, in Sanders. Um, you know, a running game that can, he can really play off the play action from. Uh, I think Lynch, for me, if things were to click for him and him to show off those natural skills, I think he actually has a higher ceiling than probably all of those all of these guys we've talked about. It's just the chance he's going to get there is is probably a lot less than. Bridgewater or uh, Garoppolo reaching their potential. Yeah, I still think I'd lean Garoppolo, not necessarily because I think his ceiling's higher. I I, I guess you're right. If you're just talking about a home run, Lynch definitely has those pieces around him that Garoppolo doesn't. But in terms of ceiling of just actual player, I think Garoppolo is the one good quarterback in this group, and that would still elevate him above for me. But, yeah, I mean, we're we're splitting hairs here. Um, On the non-quarterback side, a couple things I want to talk about. There wasn't a whole lot of big injury news or anything along those lines, but we're still kind of sifting through the fallout of the different trades and whatnot that went down last week. And I want to start with the Dolphins running backs. Their new committee kind of played well as a whole. It it was a good matchup against the Raiders, admittedly. But when it comes to Damian Williams or Kenyon Drake moving forward, which one of those two guys would you rather own? I think I would rather have drake you sound convinced it, yeah it's <laughs> it's really hard because i don't think damien even even though damien williams only got 14 yards on the seven carries and i'm just talking about in the running game because i mean he definitely had you know bigger effect in the passing game i think he somewhat uh i, I think he seems a little bit or he seems to have a, a little bit better time when he got an open field but for some reason i just they weren't willing to give Williams any carries really prior to the GIE trade. And I just feel like that, that gives Drake kind of the heads up in terms of if one of these guys is going to take over this role, uh, especially after going uh, 69 yards on, on nine carries and then still catching all six of his targets. Drake had a pretty nice game. So 
I think I would go Drake, but honestly, with, with a line play, with Jay Cutler as your quarterback, I don't know if I really want either of these. Yeah, the line play is the reason I would rather have Williams. I, he's also the quote-unquote starter in name, at least, but he's going to get the passing down work. He also seems to be the guy they're going to use at the goal line, and those two things are the two things I care about most from a running back because so much of their other production is either based on you know game flow, like can the team run at all, and line play, can the team run at all? You know, uh, he also has that more prototypical running back size, the frame, you know, five foot eleven, two hundred twenty three or two hundred twenty two pounds, a track record of viability in the Dolphins' offense, like we've seen him perform there before. I- I'm with you though; you got to preach caution with both of these guys. The Dolphins are not a powerhouse offense. Not every matchup is going to be as good as playing against the Raiders. They do have a few nice matchups coming up, though. Uh, Tampa Bay in Week 11, who was gashed by Adrian Peterson, LaShawn McCoy, Alvin Kamara in recent games. Now, again, neither of these Dolphins guys are on the same level as those players, maybe on Peterson's level at this point. But they also get uh, New England in Weeks 12 and 14, and New England's allowed the second most receiving yardage per game uh, and the fifth most just standard fantasy points per game two opposing running backs, although those numbers are still skewed a little bit by <laughs> Kareem Hunt going bananas in week one. And then Miami gets Casey in week 16, a bottom three team in rushing defense DVOA. Only the Colts have allowed more rushing TDs than the Chiefs. So across the balance of the schedule, there will be weeks where I think these Dolphins guys are usable. The problem is that there's two of them, and that week to week we may not necessarily know which guy we want. I think of those New England matchups, because Williams is the receiving guy, He's a pretty clear flex option, but I'm with you. This is this might be a stay away. Yeah, I mean, if you're relying on the Miami running back situation to save your fantasy season, you may want to start prepping for baseball. <laughs> yeah, who do you like in baseball? No, just kidding. Let's move on. Uh, Corey Davis, returned from injury, didn't get a whole lot going against Baltimore, and we talked about him on the Tout Wars Hour last week when I was uh, joining you there as a player that I was buying, is he, and you were with me on that, is he, is he still a player that you're buying, Corey Davis? For sure. I mean, the the, the Ravens, uh, the Ravens pass defense and quarterback play has just been fantastic this year. And on Sunday, it was no different. He just, you know, they ran into kind of a monster in the passing game. He was shut down. I don't expect that to happen very often moving forward. Um, I haven't seen their remaining schedule, but I got to assume it involves some probably Indianapolis, uh, some Houston. We've seen kind of what uh, – oh, great. I, I just pulled up their schedule. So San Francisco's on there too and Arizona. Arizona, who's been atrocious against the Paz. Uh, the Rams, who are getting better defensively but are getting into shootouts now because their offense is so good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was honest – I've been a huge detractor of Marcus Mariota, but I actually thought he looked pretty good against a tough Ravens defense. Uh, one of the first times I can really honestly say I felt like, okay, maybe this guy is a, a an upper tier or can be an upper tier quarterback in the NFL because I, I've never been convinced of that by Marcus Mariota. And Davis is just such an elite talent. What what he can do to go up and get balls, the body control he has, the hands he has, uh, there are very few players like him in the NFL, and at some point he is going to break out. Um, you know, the next two weeks are tough. Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, but after that, he's got a cake schedule for the four weeks following, including most of your fantasy playoffs. Uh, and as long as you don't play in week 17 when they go up against the Jaguars, I think he could have a big end of the season. So now's the time to go out and buy. Yep, totally agree. I, I think the best sign for him is that despite coming off injury, he already looked fine from a usage perspective. 
I went to airyards.com. Davis played 75% of Tennessee's offensive snaps in Week 9. That's the second most among all receivers, uh, compared to only 44% for Decker. He was second on the team in targets with five to Richard Matthews, seven. So they're using him right away. We saw that in Week 1 as well. That's a great sign. And he might be the type of player who will elevate a guy like Mariota, a guy who maybe you didn't believe in. But, you know, when you get better receivers, it's easier to be a good quarterback. That's just how it works. Yet you noted the, the two tough matchups coming up, Cincinnati and Pittsburgh. I don't know if Cincinnati is as bad as it looks on paper. Uh, they, they've been a little bit more favorable to passing games over the past few weeks than they, than they were in the early season. So he might be usable this week. I think if I had him, I'd consider putting him into my lineup. But, yeah, man, the, the schedule after that is really nice, as you described. If he can stay healthy, and you know that's a big if with Corey Davis, he could carry a lot of teams into the fantasy playoffs, I think. Let's talk awards for Week 9, and we'll start, as we usually do, with the quarterback boom of the week. Justin, which quarterback outperformed your expectations the most in Week 9? There were a couple of them that I could have gone with, but I'm going to go with Carson Wentz. And it's not that I don't think Carson didn't think that Carson Wentz could have a big week. I just thought of going up against Denver's defense, there was no way he was throwing for four touchdowns. And it could have been bigger than it was. I mean, he didn't even throw for 200 yards. Uh, but I really thought Denver would uh, would slow down this Eagles offense. Carson Wentz looks like the MVP. Uh, I think he is the fantasy MVP from a quarterback perspective. Uh, truly impressive what this young kid has done uh, in a short period of time, because I think that time, there were times last year where he was just completely lost in an NFL system, but he's really matured and taken a step forward. Yeah, he actually hurt his own fantasy day by being so good early in the game. It, that his play plus the defense's play the Philadelphia defense play that is put, you know, them in such a favorable script that their running backs could just go off for the rest of the game. I even tweeted like in the beginning of that game, based upon how things were going, that the script that was shaping up was one where the running backs were going to go bananas and the kicker might score 20 points. And sure enough, we, we got there. It was just a really nice game for the Eagles and they look completely legit. Uh, I, I, I think that Wentz is a good choice though, because people look at that Denver defense and they think that's a bad matchup for QBs. And, you know, the secret to this season is that their defense isn't that good against the pass anymore. I mean, they're much better against the run than they are the pass. Totally flipped from last season. And that's not necessarily a matchup you want to be terrified of in the way you were before. So I think if you have a good quarterback facing Denver, that's that's a spot that you can use them and once prove that. Uh, for me, I'm going to go kind of deep here. I'm going to go with C.J. Beathard. Almost three for 300 yards. He, he didn't look good in this game, don't get me wrong. But from a fantasy perspective... The QB 12 pending Monday Night Football, uh, 17 and change uh, in terms of fantasy points, scored another rushing touchdown, which, you know, if you play in a four per passing TD scoring league, those rushing touchdowns effectively count as like a passing TD plus one get out of interception free card. And he threw only one interception. That was the big difference for him this week versus previous weeks, only one turnover. And that's going to plant him as a usable 2QB option, and I thought that he was, I think I ranked him last among all my quarterbacks uh, last week, and th in terms of expectation, I expected nothing, and he gave us a usable week, so he's my boom of the week. I wanted to ask you about Jay Cutler. Did you see this coming against Miami, QB5, over 24 fantasy points? I mean, Cutler's one of those, Cutler's a gunslinger. He's <laughs> he, he is... Uh, Brett Favre light in terms of he just doesn't give a shit. He really doesn't. I mean, and, you know, Oakland's defense has not played well this year. It's an it, understatement. So, I mean, 
I, I, I didn't think he would be, you know, the fifth or sixth QB in terms of fantasy points. But does it surprise me? No, because Oakland is just atrocious, especially on the road. Um, and he, uh, he just lit them up, uh, that way. Would I expect this to continue? No, because there's just a good chance as he doesn't give a shit about his own team as he, you know, does about anything else in life. So, you know, if, if he goes out next week and just lays a complete dud, uh, against the Panthers, I'm not going to be surprised and there's no way I bet on him, bet that he would repeat this, so. That's what Jay Cutler does, man. It's a total roller coaster. You never know what you're going to get from him week to week. And you can try to play into the matchups. That, that'll work sometimes. This week it did if you, you know, bought into the narrative that he was going to torch that terrible Oakland defense. But yeah, I, I'm with you. This wasn't necessarily something we could have foresaw, foresaw, but hey, man, you, you take it if you started him. Uh, a couple other guys that I think are worth noting, even though I, I don't think they were quite as impressive. Uh, Blake Bortles against Cincinnati, QB 14 with a little over 16 fantasy points. And Joe Flacco at Tennessee, QB 16, with about 15 fantasy points. Those guys, much maligned, you know, not very good passers. We, we all know that. But, you know, they gave you serviceable weeks in Week 9, and a lot of, you know, higher-profile guys did not. And you can foresee that with respect to matchups. Like, you look at Andy Dalton, who you might start over both Bortles and Flacco most weeks. Dalton's playing against Jacksonville. You bench him for these other guys. And these are the types of decisions you have to make in a two-quarterback league. All right, Justin, let's get into the bust of the week at quarterback. Who was the guy who underperformed your expectations the most in week nine? I feel like it was kind of, it's kind of tough to choose this week because most, it was a good week for quarterback scoring in general. Yeah, I, I think, I think I might get a little bit of heat for this one because I think he still put up like a top, top 10, top 12 week in terms of overall fantasy points. But man, I was really thinking Alex Smith would, mm-hmm. would put up a few more points against a Dallas secondary that has been bad to atrocious at most of the season. If it weren't, wasn't for the fact that he threw that 50 plus yard <laughs> touchdown pass in which Dallas played prevent defense and then did not prevent anything. Um, Tyreek Hill uh, is pretty good. Oh my God. Well, and, but I mean, at the same time, look, don't get me wrong. I'm not taking anything away from Tyreek Hill. At the same time, there's like six or seven Cowboys defenders just watching him. Like they're just in awe of how he how well he moves, and they just <laughs> forgot to tackle um, and go after him. Uh, so I mean, if you if you take that away, and I know you can't necessarily do that in terms of fantasy, it would have been an atrocious day, and he looked bad for really the first time this year. He looked like a bad quarterback. He looked like the Alex Smith of old, who was a game manager who couldn't stretch the field. Because the thing about him this year has been they've opened up the playbook for the first time since coming into Kansas City. They've allowed him to push the ball down the field, and he's done a very good job while staying very efficient. And this was the first time it was like, oh, this is this is the old Alex Smith. And so I'm just hoping it for at least for Kansas City fans and for fantasy owners, especially fantasy owners of Tyreek uh, Tyre Hill, uh, that this isn't the, the new trend for Kansas City, that he's reverting back to the old Alex Smith. Yeah, I think one thing we have to keep in mind when we consider how good Alex Smith has been is how soft their schedule has been. I mean, mm-hmm. they played New England week one, and they totally you know, de-pantsed the Patriots in that game. That was a, a shellacking, and nobody expected it. But after that, it was, it was Philly. They played Philly pretty close, but Smith didn't do a whole lot. Uh, the Chargers held Smith to under 200 yards, 155 exactly, um, and... Since then, it's been a bunch of pushover teams. Like, no offense to your Washington Redskins, but he beat them. He beat. Houston. But he didn't even have a great, you know. I mean, outside 
it wasn't for his rushing yards, he didn't even have a very good job or a very good game against Washington from a throwing perspective. And then, like you mentioned, Houston's been awful. <laughs> Oakland's been awful. D- Denver's not the team it used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's a lot of reasons just to be scared by Alex Smith. Yeah. Now, I, in, to his credit, I do think it is Dallas is a tough place to play. Like that, go home roads doesn't matter to me much with a lot of stadiums. With Dallas, it kind of does. That's just such a a unique place, and those fans love the Cowboys so much that. I think that that was probably part of why he wasn't, you know, looking quite as good as he would normally. Like if if they had played Dallas in Arrowhead, I think he probably would have, you know, done a little bit better. And I don't know. I, I I do have to admit that the fact that he did get that one really ridiculous touchdown and kind of save his fantasy day kind of takes him out of contention for bust of the week for me. Uh, the guys that I was looking at, the the first is one that we can kind of dismiss. Jameis Winston, he got injured. We can't really count that, but. One thing I will ask is, if he was questionable at all, if that if his health was a concern, why is he playing? Like, what the hell is Tampa Bay doing running him out there like that? Do you have any, like, can you make an excuse in their favor here, Justin, or am I crazy? I think that, I, I don't think you're crazy, because I, I think, honestly, what is happening in Tampa Bay is this is a completely mismanaged operation. Mm-hmm. But I, if, I think the only way you can say that well, I understand what they were doing is at the time they're two and five. They're going, if we don't win this game, we're out of the playoff race in our division. Yeah, no, I guess that's fair. But I mean, at the end of the day, like this is a guy who's supposed to be your future. Like this is the face of, for, for better or worse, this is the face of your franchise. You know, you took a lot of heat drafting this guy first overall. Do you really want to put him at risk in, in a game like this? I, I don't understand how you rationalize it unless you go, I need to put up a better showing than last year in order for me as a coach to keep my job. So we got to win some games. Yep. Yeah. So I don't think he is in contention, but I, again, I question what the Bucks are doing. The other guy who I considered and didn't choose was Kirk Cousins at Seattle. I just don't think we should have expected much from him on the road against the Seahawks. So, I mean, plus his team won, you know, hashtag QB wins that, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm not going to take away from that. It wasn't a good game for Cousins, but Again, relative to expectations, that's, I mean, I don't think and I was mi- playing him there Missing anyway. three starting offensive linemen, uh, it just, and, you know, and more got injured in the game, so. That's going to continue to be a problem for them, for sure. But, yeah, the guy I am going to pick here is Derek Carr at Miami. Only QB 18, less than 14 fantasy points. I, and don't get me wrong, I was a car hater in the offseason, so surprise, surprise, I want to call out Derek Carr as being bad. But I had stats to back it up, man. Back in episode 51 with Scott Pianowski, I noted that of the top 16 QBs in ADP at the time, this was back during draft season, Carr's yards per attempt over the past four seasons was clearly the worst of all the guys who were being drafted highly. Uh, 6.8 yards per attempt at home, just under 6.2 on the road, and those are per the Rotoviz Game Splits app. So he's a dink and dunk game manager, and we all think that he's not, or or people think that he's not. I don't. Uh, You see him trying to make these deeper passes to Amari Cooper and whether it's him overthrowing or missing Cooper or Cooper dropping the pass. Like I I just think there's a good chance that Derek Carr might be bad. And this is something we have to kind of factor into our analysis going forward. We can't necessarily every week just assume that, you know, 2016 Derek Carr is going to show up. Can we? I, you know, I have a different opinion of Carr than you. And I actually thought this was very encouraging game from Derek Carr. Now, I mean, he hasn't played, uh, to the same level as he did uh, last season when he really carried the Raiders to the postseason before the awful uh, 
a breaking of his leg in that game against the Texans. And I think that a lot of it can be uh, chalked up to injury, but I thought he did a pretty good job uh, in, in the inter- intermediate to deep passing game. Uh, um, there were some bad drops, you know, hashtag Amari Cooper. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, like, he's been let down, I think, a lot by his team. And the fact that he's even playing at this point with after fracturing a part of his back, I think is a testament to how tough this guy is. You know, is he a, an elite quarterback? No, he isn't an elite quarterback. He shouldn't have been taken in the first round by my by my good friend and co-host of the Towers Hour, uh, uh, Laura Michaels, in our in our uh, in our Superflex League. But I don't think that he's by any means mediocre or bad. I think he, uh, and I think this has just been a product of the amount of injuries he's gone through. If we start seeing him stay efficient uh i think they'll start opening up the the playbook a little bit more letting him go down the field a little bit more because i think for the most part he's been pretty good down the field okay fair enough i yeah maybe i'm not giving enough credit to the fact that he's still coming back from that injury or still dealing with it i i just if that is a problem when is it going to stop being a problem and this year i don't know if it does yeah and then and, and that's that's the thing i think when we're looking into next year i think we can start putting him back up there as a top uh eight to ten quarterback I think you're right. For this year alone, I think he is an average quarterback in terms of our rankings. Yeah, and there are just so many QBs in that range there. You know, Matt Ryan, uh, Matthew Stafford, Kirk Cousins, like Jameis Winston before he got hurt. It's just that that very big middle class I always talk about on the show of quarterbacks. And, yeah, I'm I'm just not convinced that Derek Carr has elevated himself above that class. And so, yeah, maybe, maybe I'm overstating things by saying he's bad, but – I think the point is that he's he's not great, and the injury may be factoring into that. We don't know. Uh, it's a probably it's a pretty safe assumption that it is. But yeah, anything else uh, you got on week nine, Justin? Before we uh, move uh, forward to week ten? No, I think that's we week nine was a weird week. It just mm-hmm. there aren't a lot of fun storylines fr- from it. Uh, though week ten doesn't seem to have like any amazing matchups. Maybe one or two. Yeah, and. We'll start, as we always do, with our preview for the upcoming week, and that is with a streamer of the week. So, again, in a two-quarterback league, you're not really going to be able to pick up a free agent quarterback to stream. Now, maybe Ryan Fitzpatrick is the exception for you this week, uh, but, again, that's all based on injury, and you probably have to be pretty lucky with either how much free agent acquisition budget you still have or what waiver priority you have to be able to get a guy like that in two-quarterback. So when we talk about streamers here, we're talking about guys who – you wouldn't necessarily want to start, but either based on matchup or some other circumstance, is a player that you're looking to put into your lineup for the upcoming week. So week 10, kind of an interesting one, four teams on by. Uh, only Baltimore is you know, taking away a streaming option for us with Joe Flacco. All the other QBs who are on by in week 10 are guys who are probably every week starters in two quarterback formats. So we have a lot of guys to choose from in week 10 uh, from these kind of like lower tiers. Who's the guy for you, Justin? Who do you want to be streaming if you have him on your roster? I, I hate to say this because he's my he's my QB one in the Barf League, but Woo! Josh McCown playing at Tampa Bay should yeah. be pretty decent weather. Uh, has put up at least eighteen fantasy points in three of his last four games. Uh, put up almost seventeen this week against Buffalo's pretty tough def- uh, defense. Uh, I think McCown's going to have a pretty nice game uh, and a widely available. 
less than 40% owned in ESPN leagues right now. That's awesome. He was my pick as well, so I'll pivot to the guy on the other side of the ball. I'll go with Ryan Fitzpatrick against the Jets. Uh, kind of an honorable mention for me here, but I feel like he has the receivers that suit his skill set. I mean, he gets to throw those yellow balls that he always loved to throw to Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker. Now he's throwing them to Mike Evans and Deshaun Jackson down the field. And he has all those tight ends and running backs, you know, Cam Brate, Doug Martin, Charles Sims, O.J. Howard, for the easier throws, the little dump-offs and, and seam routes and stuff like that. Plus, the Jets are just a really favorable matchup. They've allowed top 12 QB finishes in seven of nine weeks. I think they've only allowed, they've only held a QB out of the top 20 once this year. So they're a great matchup. Uh, even, you know, Tyrod, who looked terrible for the first half, was able to really make a comeback there in garbage time against the Jets. So... Fitzpatrick's another good option. What do you think about Beathard against the Giants? They've allowed top eight fantasy finishes to quarterbacks in five straight games. Is he a guy you would stream? Oh, man, I I, I wanted to pick him. And actually, I thought about picking Eli, too, against the Niners uh, for this. I, I personally can't pull the trigger. Some I think for me, he's like the perfect kind of like millionaire maker. Uh, play in, in a GPP. Mm-hmm. Like if you, if you're if you're gonna go for it, you know, go big or you know, or go home, uh, type of guy. The Giants keep suspending all their defensive backs. <laughs> um, I don't know if they're all going to be suspended for this game because what on paper was a fantastic secondary to start the year has just completely fallen apart because uh, no one knows what they're doing in New York anymore from a coaching or management uh, perspective. I, I couldn't pull the trigger because, like I said, there's just no one to throw to in, in San Francisco, um, and I just don't know what the Giants are going to be putting out there. But there is a reasonable argument to be made for going for it. If you were going to make that sort of contrarian or you know bad QB play just to you know get a guy who's cheap or underowned in DFS, is there a, a Niners receiver or tight end, or maybe it's just Carlos Hyde or their defense? Are you stacking anybody with Bethard, or would you run him out there just by himself? I mean, if you're going for the long shot, maybe like an Aldrich Robinson, a guy who's a home run hitter that, you know, because the only way that Bethard has like a really nice day is if he just someone there's a completely blown coverage and someone's wide open down the field. And for me, that's the guy who can stretch the field. That's a guy like Robinson. Or maybe it's like a Matt Breida. It's a guy who's, you know, technically the second running back, but San Francisco's starting to get him more involved. Uh, he seems to be a better pass catcher than Hyde. Uh, you get an extra point per reception in, in, in DraftKings uh, as opposed to half uh, half PPR and FanDuel. Um, that's like that's kind of those are the two guys that I would go if you're going to go long shot with Bethard, just pair him up with another long shot and Alex Grobson, and then uh, and then stack the rest of your team with studs. How about Brock Osweiler against the Patriots? Now I I'm not going to lie, I don't think I can pull the trigger on this with especially with New England coming off of a bye, but. The Patriots have generally been a very good team to target with your quarterbacks in fantasy. Can you tell yourself some sort of story where Brock Osweiler deserves consideration? No, there's no way. Okay, just not. It's not going to happen. I think uh, you, if you give Bill Belichick an extra week to prepare for a guy like Brock Osweiler, it would not surprise me if he throws more interceptions for touchdowns than touchdowns to his own team. <laughs> So the last guy I want to talk to you about is is a bit of an inflection point for me between uh, a streamer and a potential clipboard holder of the week, which is our next section. So I, I feel like this is a good transition. Andy Dalton against the Titans. He's on the road. 
Uh, but he's playing against a team he doesn't play against all that much, and Joe Goodbury has done a you know great job. We talk about this all the time of illustrating that Dalton is good in against uncommon opponents, against the teams that he doesn't face very often. And his biggest Achilles heel this season has been against teams with good pass rushes, teams who really get after the quarterback and can exploit that terrible offensive line that the Bengals have. Tennessee isn't necessarily, you know, one of the greatest teams in that regard. So I think this is potentially a good spot to use Dalton. But we have this potential A.J. Green suspension looming. Now, maybe I need to update my news intake here before we continue. I'm not sure if A.J. Green has been suspended. But if he if he does play, are you would you be excited to use Andy Dalton against the Titans? I think I would. Um, And I'm like quickly uh, uh, checking. if AJ Green uh, will be suspended, if last I see, it looks like he's probably not going to be suspended, which seems really weird to Unreal. me. Unreal, really? That that <laughs> that Mike Evans gets a suspension, but uh, but AJ Green uh, is not going to get one. Um, here's the thing. I mean, this is a Titans uh, secondary that has been improved over the last few games, but not good by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and I think it is a game in which Dalton will have to throw uh, quite a bit. I think he could have some success. I, th- I think I would roll him out, um, you know, as a QB two or as uh, a, a desperation shot if one of my guy, if, if my quarterback was on by. But if AJ Green does get suspended for some reason, I, there's no way. There's no way I'm running him out there. But uh, if he plays, I, I you could be you could have a lot worse situations than Andy Dalton this week versus Tennessee. Yeah, I just looked up the Titans' uh, adjusted sack rate for their defensive line, and they rank third last in the league. So they're definitely not a team that pressures the quarterback very well. That does, again, bode well for Dalton, especially if A.J. Green plays. If he doesn't play, I don't know if Dalton's a complete stay away, just because, you know, Brandon LaFell's okay. Uh, Giovanni Bernard can catch the ball out of the backfield. Tyler Croft might be, you know, just a better tight end than Tyler Eifert, if only because he can stay healthy, but... I don't know. Dalton's an interesting case, but let's talk about our actual clipboard holders of the week. These are the guys who we would normally start, but for whatever reason in week 10, we're going to avoid. Uh, Who's it for you this week, Justin? This was a tough one. There are some options here that are really interesting. Um, Actually, hold on. Before you answer, I want to ask you just a more nebulous question here. You're right. I should have prefaced this a little bit more. There aren't a whole lot of options. In terms of you know good quarterbacks who you'd want to bench, but two of them are two of the best quarterbacks. We have Drew Brees going on the road at Buffalo, whose defense has been pretty good, and we have Tom Brady on the road at Denver, uh, a place that he has traditionally had a pretty tough time. But we noted earlier in the show that Denver may not be the same pass defense that they once were. Regardless of matchup, are you ever comfortable benching Brees or Brady? Because I'm not. I am with Brees. I think you guys talked about it last week. Breeze and, and the Saints aren't running the same high-powered offense that they have in the past. Now, I think what you get from Breeze is a level of safety. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, if, if I'm looking for a big week, Breeze going at, at to Buffalo, you know, a place that should have some snow at this point in November, is playing very, very well defensively for the most part. That's a tough place, and you could easily see them really uh, rely on the running game there, uh, and Breeze not being the Breeze of old that that, we're, that we've become accustomed to. Um, that being said, this is a tough week because I don't see a ton of other matchups where I'm going, 
oh yeah, no, I, you know, it's not like I'm going to start Kirk Cousins, you know, versus Minnesota over him. It's not like I'm going to start uh, Jacoby Brissett over Pittsburgh, uh, Adam, uh, instead of him. You know, so I was going to say Philip Rivers is my guy to sit this week. Um, so I thought that was where you're going. Brady, I, I think he's about as matchup proof as you're going to get, and I, I wouldn't say that. Yeah, Philip Rivers against Jacksonville is it's almost by default, right? You just don't start quarterbacks against the Jaguars this season. I'm I'm to that point now where I, I think I would bench anybody. The most points they've allowed was 13 to Marcus Mariota in Week Two, and he was only the quarterback 19 for that week. That's the best finish they've allowed. So they don't even let quarterbacks finish inside the top 20 more than once per year. Like that's insane. If if we assume that Brett Hundley and Matthew Stafford are going to top about 5.4 points tonight in Monday Night Football. That means that Andy Dalton finished as the QB 26 against the Jaguars, and that would put their average weekly finish against down to quarterback 25.8, which is friggin' ridiculous. That means that on average, the Jaguars allowed the QB 26 among all defenses. And that's week to week, man. This is a defense that you cannot start your QB against. That's a great call. Rivers has, has got to ride the bench this week. Yep. Um, so for me, uh, you mentioned him. It is Kirk Cousins uh, against Minnesota. I, I think that Rivers was, um, I mean, definitely the guy I would bench over Cousins, but the Vikings are coming off a bye. Uh, they've really tightened up their defense against fantasy quarterbacks, uh, dating all the way back to week four when they shut down Matthew Stafford. And I will acknowledge that since then, they haven't faced very good quarterbacks otherwise. But still, Minnesota has 24 sacks through eight games. 12 in their past three games, and meanwhile, we noted the Washington offensive line problems. They've allowed 14 sacks in their last three games, so this could just be a situation where Cousins is running for his life all game, and because of that, I'd be inclined to bench him because along the same lines as what you talked about with the San Francisco 49ers, the receiving options in Washington have become a problem too. So there are just a lot of red flags for Cousins uh, this week, and I think he's a guy to avoid. What do you think about Cousins uh, against Minnesota? Yeah, I hate to say it, but there's, <laughs> I mean, what you said is true. I mean, their their uh, their offensive line is just completely decimated by injuries right now. Uh, I I mean, I was surprised to see uh, uh, Jameson Crowder completely inactive. They've got a lot of receiving options in Washington, but their best ones aren't on the field right now in Jameson Crowder and and uh, in Jordan Reed. So there's there's just so many question marks on that offense right now. It's not like they've got a strong running game to begin with. I think I probably would sit him against a pretty tough Vikings team or Vikings defense. Yep. And you are right about this week just being kind of a funny one. It, it There aren't a whole lot of glaring bad matchups for good quarterbacks. It seems like most of the bad matchups are for mediocre to bad quarterbacks. Uh, so you're going to be faced with a lot of tough decisions if you don't have those elite guys. And if you do have them, you know, Brady and Breeze definitely have the two worst matchups. The only other guy I think is slightly interesting is Mariota going against Cincinnati. Uh, I do feel like we've talked about this already, but Corey Davis returning is a big help. But the Bengals, while they did look, you know, really good against passing offenses in the early season, have given up about 16 fantasy points to quarterbacks in each of their last three games. And not to great quarterbacks either. They did it to Roethlisberger, who's definitely declining, to Brissett, who's a young and mistake-prone guy, and also to Blake Bortles, who we know is bad. So I think that Mariota should be fine in that matchup uh, against Cincinnati. So, yeah, the, the really bad matchups for me come down to Cousins at Minnesota, Rivers at Jacksonville, and then Dalton at Tennessee if A.J. Green doesn't play. 
Um, the Breeze one is is very interesting. I, it'll be interesting to see how he performs in that context. And because of that, it's one of the matchups I'm I'm kind of intrigued to watch and see how it plays out because it, it might just have a lot to do with how successful they are the running the ball, you know, with Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara. And to this point in the season, they've been really good at that. Uh, Buffalo has a good rush defense, though. It's, it's a fascinating matchup. I can't wait to see that one. Uh, anything else on tap for you in Week 10 that's, that's caught your eye, Justin, thing, thing you're looking forward to? Well, I mean, obviously the game of the week is the New York Giants at the San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> and will one of these teams ruin their shot to get Saquon? I mean, that to me is a huge storyline. You've got the New York Giants with one win, the 49ers with zero wins, and the Cleveland Browns who've got to be just salivating at the fact that if, if San Francisco wins this game, they're virtually a lock uh, for, for the number one overall pick and ruining some other poor kid's career. Do you really think that taking a running back first overall is, is going to happen, though? And do, I mean, it seems like we entertain that notion every year. And I will admit the running backs keep going higher and higher in drafts just because these NFL teams are, are largely, you know, misguided. But number one overall, you think Saquon goes there? I think he could. Like, let's be honest. This is a really, really, really special talent. Um, and, like, I didn't realize how special of a talent until I sat down and and really kind of dug into his his, uh, his game film recently. I think this is the best running back prospect to come out of college football in a very, very long time. And, I mean, that's saying that with guys like Ezekiel Elliott and Todd Gurley in the league. I mean, I think this is the closest thing we've seen to Barry Sanders since Barry Sanders. That's uh, pretty crazy, man. I think, you know, and who knows, I mean... If he can handle the 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 pounding of, um, you know, of the NFL, I mean that is you know that's always a question mark until a guy's come in. But I mean this guy is legitimately one of the best running backs coming out of college that we've ever seen. Um, and at the end of the day, NFL coaches get three to four years to prove that they've got that they've got what it takes to you know run an NFL team. And teams need to stop thinking about the long term and really start thinking about what can I do to make my team better now. And I think Saquon Barkley can make teams better now. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, we have we saw it happen with Dallas. We saw it happen with Fournette. Like those teams did improve right away by getting that solid to very good offensive playmaker. And I don't know if that necessarily makes it correct to take those guys that high. And I'm definitely not a draft scout. I haven't watched Barkley play at all. I'm not a college football fan by any stretch, so. I lean on, you know, folks who do watch them like you, like like other smart people around the industry. Yeah, I just, when I think of what these teams need and what, you know, kind of the best teams in the NFL tend to do well week to week, having an elite running back is not often part of the equation. You know, the league is very much about passing these days and about winning in the trenches with your offensive and your defensive line. I think that uh, because the league is all about passing, defensive backs have taken on a new you know, kind of priority in terms of team building. So I, I just, yeah, running back just doesn't feel like the type of position that I want to invest heavily in. Now, the, the catch is, like you're talking about, this guy could be a generational talent, and that might just trump everything else. And it'll be fascinating to see how that plays out. I am... Not going to pretend to be an expert, though. I, like I said, not, not a college I, guy. I'm not a college guy either by any stretch of the imagination, but I just kept hearing these names. And so I, I kind of just went and 
checked out, and I'm gonna, I'll, I'll I'll send you on Twitter uh, some highlights uh, of him and and a, a draft scout that I really do trust, kind of breaking him down. And I got lost on YouTube just watching this kid play. Nice. All right. Or I'm like, looking forward to that. It was one of those like where okay, I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna watch some highlights real quick, and then all of a sudden, I spent the next two hours watching highlights of this kid. And I mean, he just is. He is just a super special talent. And I don't know that there is any of the any of these kind of elite talents at other positions in in the draft this year. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why you saw San Francisco trade their second round pick is because they don't believe there is a a a, uh, a future quarterback or elite quarterback in this next draft. So I think if you take quarterback out um, and there's not you know a pressing need at, at the offensive line at the top of the draft, I think you could see a guy like Saquon become the number one overall pick. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, man. Send me that over. Um, I'll post it in the show notes, too. So if any of the listeners want to check it out, they can. Um, Justin, that's all I got, man. Anything else you got before we close things down here? No, man. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, definitely. Um, listeners, you can follow Justin on Twitter at Justin Mason FWFB. Uh, Justin, why don't you let them know where else they can find you, what you're working on week to week. And I don't know. Yeah, just give them, give them the download. Yeah, you can uh, you can read all my stuff at friendsoffantasybenefits.com for football and baseball. I uh, do podcasts over there for football and baseball. Um, I also write a weekly preview article for every week covering virtually every single fantasy-relevant player uh, in every single game for Fantasy Alarm. It's, it's about a thirteen to 1,400-word article every week, um, so you can check that over there. Baseball at Fangraphs. And then, yeah, every Thursday from 68 Pacific on the Tout Wars Hour – uh, we talk about baseball, football. Sometimes we mix in a little golf and MMA. So definitely come over and check that out. Yeah, and listeners, if you are into fantasy baseball, you definitely got to follow Justin for that. He's you know one of the hardest working fantasy baseball analysts out there, and and his work is always top notch. So uh, just a little plug for for March uh, going for you there, Justin. Appreciate it. Hey, no worries. Um, thank you again for coming on. Listeners, if you want to give any feedback for the show, uh, I would very much appreciate it. You can hit us up on Twitter at 2QBs or email us 2QBs at gmail.com. In both cases, you spell that out, T-W-O-Q-B-S, uh, in the Twitter handle and the email address. You know, everyone asks for it. No one ever gets it. Ratings and reviews on iTunes, on Stitcher, wherever else you can rate and review the podcast. Take, take some time. It's it's not that hard, and it does help us with the show. It helps us get it out there, and that's what we're looking for here. Uh, otherwise, good luck in Week 10. We will catch you next week on the 2QB Experience. Adios. Adios.